Today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. We're in the middle of a series called Vision 2023. Remember here in Keene, we live God's love. We are living God's love, and we're called to love, connect, share. We're going to look at a, uh, another way to do that this morning. Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to begin. Matthew chapter 21 begins with the account of Jesus, what we would call his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This is Sunday or Monday of that holy week before he went to the cross. And he tells his disciples, hey, go ahead. There's going to be somebody that has a, a, a cult for you. Go ahead and ask them for it. The master has use and they'll absolutely give it to you. And Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Matthew says that there was uh, both a donkey and a colt, two animals that he rode in on. Other gospels say there were only one. Uh, we'll find out one day. Uh, point is, he rode in on a donkey. And people are throwing down their coats before him and making this makeshift red carpet as he's going into Jerusalem. And they're saying, Hosanna, our king is coming, son of David. Hosanna in the highest. They think that Jesus the Messiah has now come to Jerusalem to establish his kingdom, overthrow the Romans, and perpetuate Israel life, the Israel dream for the rest of eternity. What they don't realize is instead of coming as a military leader, one who would have come on a horse, he comes on a donkey. This is a royal entrance. And it's one of service and of care. They don't realize is that Jesus has come not to overthrow the Romans, but he's come to change the world. And this is his first act as he's been coronated perhaps as king riding in on the donkey this is what he does Matthew chapter 21 verses 12 and 13 put that up on the screen for you Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice first day in office quote unquote Jesus goes and oversets the overturns the tables in the in the temple he knocked over the tables the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves and then he says this the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Good morning and happy Sabbath. Welcome to church, right? <laughs> it would be some interesting things happen this morning if that's how someone grabbed a mic today and was like, ah, right? Would we be, would we be ready for the Holy Spirit to show up? I don't know. We have to ask ourselves that question. This story is told over and over again, especially to our, our kids, right, in Sabbath school or Sunday school, whatever uh, tradition you grew up in. The flannel graph, right, the little felts that like, go on the board, and there's Jesus in the temple and like the one with the table being flipped over. And it's like, yeah, my house should be a house of prayer. And this is kind of a very uh, quaint story, and there's a, a, a kind of a, a lesson that we learn from it of like, yeah, do the right thing in the house of God, and like everything's going to be good. But in the same way today, how we kind of desensitize the story, perhaps, or so to speak, the people in the temple at the time were going through a routine day in and day out and had lost the meaning of what the temple service had been given for. Think about it for a moment. When, when God comes to Moses and says, hey, I've got a plan. There's a, 
heavenly tabernacle and I want you to build a model of it and then gives them the very robust level of sacrifices that if you only have a little bit, bring some grain or some wheat. If you've got a little bit more, there's some turtle doves that you can bring or some other animals to the point that people are sacrificing lambs and, and oxen and we know Jesus is the sacrificial lamb, right? Jesus comes to the temple, the people are in the middle of this, and think about the tabernacle and the temple for a moment, the bloody mess that it was. We have pictures in our minds, and the flannel graph is like very nice and clean, and it smells decent, right? But imagine gathering for church, and the first thing that you walk by is animals cooking on a fire. And you're like, hey, it's Texas, like we're, we're grilling this afternoon, it's a barbecue, right? No, 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 no. And there's blood flowing from the doorsteps. And the priests, day in and day out, are accepting the people's animals of sacrifice, taking them and killing them, burning them before God, and fulfilling the tabernacle service. The tabernacle was a very messy place. And it had gotten to the point of routine for the temple priests that they were very efficient at what they did. They knew exactly how to slaughter an animal so that it was very quick to the point. It would bleed out and they would sacrifice it. And to the point that it was just routine, day after day after day, this was happening. And it had lost the meaning of what they had originally been given the temple service for, which was to point towards Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice. The lamb who was slain, the one represented by those animals. And they'd taken it a step farther. Not only had they lost the meaning, but they had also transformed it in a way. When you entered the temple as a Jew at the time of that Jesus was around in this world, you would have to go to a money changer table. And those of you that have traveled internationally, you know exactly what it feels like to take some money that you have from the country that you're in to the country that you're going and realizing that the buying power is not equal. And sometimes you make some, Oftentimes you lose some, right? You take your money and you go to the temple changers and your money would just, it did, did not have the power that it did. So you have to go get the temple shekels and then you go to the person who's selling the dove because that's all that you can afford and you don't necessarily have a coop of doves that you keep at home. And you buy that dove and maybe it was six cents outside of the temple, but you had to buy the one inside of the temple and it was 75 cents. Talk about inflation, right? It's highway robbery. And the temple priests were profiteering, the money changers were profiteering on religion and what God had given as a gift. And you say, hey, this is maybe not as familiar, right? This happens all the time in our society. Have you ever traveled through an airport, right? As soon as you pass security, that bag of trail mix or that can of Pringles that you desperately need on your flight, the price goes through the roof. You can spend $25 on snacks and you walk out with like two little bags of jelly beans that you can like shake together and it makes noise, right? The person who jumped up the idea that, hey, what if we, after security, sent people to a mall before they got on their airplane, right? And here's the thing, they can charge that much because we pay it, because we need our Pringles on the flight or whatever it might be for you. And that's the situation that Jesus walks into in Matthew 21. There was no recourse, there was no justice because the people needed to sacrifice animals and the only place that they could get them was in the temple. There was a monopoly on religion. And Jesus had something to say about that. 
says, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. We're going to fast forward for a moment to help us understand what's going on in this story. You know, a good film often will flash forward and flash back, and then the story comes together at the end. So we're going to jump ahead to Matthew 21, verse 18, and then come back through this story, and it will help us understand better. In the morning, this is the next day. This is post-temple turned on its head, tables flying everywhere, the coins clinking, the feathers and all that. Jesus was returning to Jerusalem and he was hungry. Jesus had physical needs just like you and me. And he noticed a fig tree beside the road. He went over to see if there were any figs, but there were only leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the fig tree withered up. We're gonna pause there in this verse for just a moment. Jesus had a, a craving for figs. And there's a fig tree beside the road and it was natural to go and, and pick a little bit of fruit. And it had produced leaves that were an indication that it was in the process of making fruits or that it should be bearing fruit. And I don't know if you've ever had a really good fig, but in our world today with processed sugar and everything else, like if you get a fig that's ripe and it's come from a place that's grown well and the soil is perfect and all that, figs are amazing. Not talking about Fig Newtons, okay? It pales in comparison. When you pull out a package of Fig Newtons, you should say, may you never bear fruit again. I'm sorry if that's a favorite snack for you. Jesus wants to have some figs and he's hungry. And the fig tree is, has leaves to indicate that it should be bearing fruit, but it does not. And the, the gospels diverge a little bit on whether it was fig bearing season or not, and what type of fig tree this was, and when the season actually was when this was happening. But the point is that the fig tree in this embodied parable that Jesus is displaying before his disciples was in a place that was supposed to be bearing fruit, but it was not. Jesus curses the tree and immediately the fig tree withers up. Verse 20 of Matthew 21. The disciples were amazed when they saw this and asked, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? Jesus, what gives? What power? What's going on here? And then he told them, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to a mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. Verse 22. You can pray for anything. And if you have faith, you will receive it. Jesus, what gives? We went from turning over the tables in the temple to now you were hungry and maybe you were hangry and you cursed a tree and it doesn't, it, does, it withered up in front of us and now you're teaching us a lesson on prayer? Like, Jesus, what are you doing? Notice in this story that Jesus does not give his disciples an interpretation of what the fig tree meant. He embodied the parable so that as we look back, we can see what he was doing in the temple. You see, the temple was supposed to bear the fruit of righteousness. That God's presence would be in that temple. And anyone could come and experience the presence of God. But though outwardly it had the indications on the inside, it was not bearing the fruit of righteousness that God had intended it to. In cursing the fig tree, Jesus is giving commentary on the state of the nation of Israel and the state of the temple. And this is what he says. He says that you cannot bear or proclaim to bear fruit or espouse a particular ideology without bearing the fruit therein. 
Ellen White puts it this way, Desire of Ages, page 584, commenting on this passage. No one can live the law of God without ministering to others. Some who think themselves excellent Christians do not understand what constitutes service for God. He designed them to help their fellow men in every possible way. The nation of Israel planted specifically in a spot where the nations would go to so that they can experience God. They were trying to keep the law of God, but without ministering to the people that were in need. In fact, they were profiteering off of the people's need. God designed that his law would propel us to help the people around us. And Jesus, in this embodied parable, makes this statement. Nominal religion cannot stand beside the kingdom of God. Nominal religion and the kingdom of God mix as well as oil and water. They don't. You can try it this afternoon. When we build up this shell of what it means to be a Christian or a Seventh-day Adventist or follow after Jesus, and it does not bear the fruit of taking care of the people around us, that is not what the kingdom of God is all about. The kingdom of God cannot be in the same place as that. For following the kingdom of God, it means that we love God well and in turn love our neighbor well. The second thing that Jesus teaches his disciples in this moment is that radical prayer produces radical results. If you corroborate the gospels together, Jesus had spent a night weeping over Jerusalem before he ever enters it and had been praying over that temple. He had sought God and his will for his people and that is what prayer had propelled him to do. Radical prayer produces radical results. And what is prayer? But when heaven touches earth and earth reaches out for heaven, my house will be a house of prayer for all people. But the question still remains. Jesus waltzes into the temple. Jesus, what are you doing? Is this vindictive wrath of a God sitting in judgment over a people without giving a chance? Or are you just trying to make things right? Matthew chapter 21, verse 13, Jesus quotes two Old Testament prophecies. One, my house of prayer will be a house of my house will be a house of prayer for all people, and you have turned this place into a den of robbers. Den of robbers is drawn from Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11. And in that context, God is calling out his people and saying, everything you've set up in temple service and worship and everything else, I don't care about all of that. What I care about is a heart turn back towards me. And then in Isaiah chapter 56, starting in verse four, and we'll read through verse seven, Jesus is quoting this one when he talks about a house of prayer. For this is what the Lord said, I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath day holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and I will fill them with joy in my house of prayer and I will accept their burnt offerings and their sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Isaiah has a vision and a dream inspired by God that one day the temple would be the place that all nations would be welcomed. 
It would be a house of prayer for all people. And specifically in Isaiah chapter 56, the eunuch and the foreigner are the ones that are named that are now welcome in. They represent the outcasts, the ones who, whether by choice, by force, or by birth, find themselves in the situation that they were in. And could it be that the people that don't fit into the norms of today, we find a word for and about them in Matthew, in Isaiah chapter 56. They are welcome in the temple of God. That though they are outcast, they are brought close. The temple in Isaiah 56 becomes the place that all have access to the presence of God. That's what Jesus is quoting when he says, my house will be a house of prayer for all people. So we talked a little bit about figs. We've learned about the combination of nominal religion and the kingdom of God, a little bit on prayer and a little bit of prophecy. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 21 and read verses 12 now through 14. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. Knocked over the tables and the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. What a way to turn everything on, the, on its head. The temple, in a way, has been turned inside out. Like a hand in a glove, you take a glove off and it comes off inside out. It's what Jesus has just done in the temple. Those who had been welcomed by society to the inner courts, to the place where there was buying and selling and the sacrifices and everything else. He kicks all of them out. And the people that are left on the outside, those that are not clean enough to come into the presence of God, he welcomes into the temple because where Jesus is, he brings healing. He brings a cleansing power that no person in this world can take. When we come to Jesus and reach out like the woman with the issue of blood, to reach out just the hem of the garment, just the hem of the garment. I don't want to make Jesus unclean. Whatever you carry with you will never make Jesus unclean. He will make you clean. In the temple has been cleansed, not just by the turning over of tables, but by the presence of the Messiah, the savior of the world is now in the middle of the temple. The place where the glory of God was supposed to dwell, Jesus embodies. He's there in that place. He stands in the middle and he heals people. The blind and the lame and everyone else is gathered around and he's healing. I was reading this week in light of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day coming up on, on Monday, reading back through the I Have a Dream speech that Martin Luther King gave on the steps of Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. And it's amazing to get to the latter part of his speech where he begins to repeat that moniker, I have a dream, I have a dream, I have a dream. That's kind of become, you think of Martin Luther King, ubiquitous with I have a dream. But his vision for the future is oddly connected and ironically connected to Isaiah 56 and what Jesus does in the temple in Matthew 21. When he looks forward, he sees a vision where his children and the children of white men will come together and not be divided based on the color of their skin, but that will be known by the character that's in their heart. 
He has a vision that injustice that's perpetuated on the streets, that heat of injustice will be turned into an oasis of justice and peace. He looked forward to a day that our nation would live up to its founding principle that all men, all of humanity is created equal. That's the dream. And that's the vision in Isaiah 56. That all are welcome in the presence of God. It's not matter where you come from, your ethnic background, the color of your skin, the list goes on. You are welcome in the presence of Jesus. That's the vision of Isaiah 56 and of Matthew 21. The story is not done, however. Matthew 21, verses 15 through 17. The leading priests and the teachers of a religious law saw these wonderful miracles and were overjoyed and welcomed Jesus into the temple. Right? No. They heard even the children of the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David, but the leaders were what? Indignant. That's not how you're supposed to act in church. And they asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? He says, yes. Matter of fact, I do. Haven't you ever read the scripture? For they say, you have taught children and infants to give you praise. And then he returned to Bethany where he stayed overnight. From the temple back home to the temple back home. A couple of thoughts on these last few verses. When Jesus shows up, not only does he heal the blind and the lame and those who are sick and in need, children feel free to express their worship to God. Think about that for a moment. When Jesus is in the room, children feel free to worship God. I think an incredible litmus test for the health of the spirituality of a community is what the children are saying about Jesus. Are they proclaiming his name and raising a hosanna and a hallelujah in his name, or are they not? And I'd wager that the proportion that Jesus is in our midst will be evidenced in our children's lives as they proclaim the name of Jesus. Where Jesus is, children feel free to worship. And the thought that I have in my mind as I'm looking at this passage this week what would our church look like if Jesus showed up on a Saturday morning or an afternoon in our midst? What would he do as he looked at the keen church? I hope and pray that it's not flipping over breakfast tables and crumbs going flying everywhere. Would we welcome Jesus or would we be indignant towards him? Would we be the crowd in need of healing? Would we be the children shouting praises to his name? Or we, would we be looking down our nose at him for disrupting a worship service that had been just going just fine before you showed up? We have to wrestle with that question. A couple of years ago, when I was in uh, university here at Southwestern. I was on a trip with a group of athletes and a mentor of ours was taking us on this, on this trip and we're visiting another sister university. It's where the event was being held. And, after Vespers on a, on a Friday evening, our mentor says, hey, as a team, we're going to go to this specific place and I want you to tell you about where Jesus showed up in my life. And he took us to this kind of nondescript chapel room-ish place. It's got some nice stained glass windows in it. And he began to tell us a story about a very dark part of his life. And there was a night when he was around that campus and involved and everything else that he was in that chapel and it was like two o'clock in the morning. And he had in his mind 
a plan and a means to take his life. And he had in his hand the very same thing. And he sat in that chapel pleading and crying, Jesus, would you show up? Because I, I, at, at this point in my life, I, I don't see a path forward. This is happening. This is happening. I'm frustrated with this. I, I'm in a place that I don't want to be anymore. And I've got the plans and the means to do something about it. And then he began to tell us that Jesus stepped into the room. And all of the feelings and the frustrations that he had were calmed because Jesus stepped in and embraced him and said, child, you are loved. You matter more than anything else in this world. And you have a purpose and a calling in this life. Your life does not end here tonight. Everywhere Jesus shows up, Jesus makes the difference. And I know there are those of you today sitting under the sound of my voice, whether you're here in person or online, that are wishing that Jesus would just show up. Would Jesus just show up and do something? He will. Promise you he will. And when he does, he will change everything for you. It may look like the tables of your heart need to be flipped. There's some things that need to be sorted out on the inside. And Jesus does that with a grace and a compassion that is incomparable to anyone else in this world. That's what Jesus is willing to do. When Jesus shows up, he makes the difference. In fact, he makes all the difference. So what about a vision for 2023? Where do we go from here, right? Jesus stands up in the temple in the middle of the worship service and he says, a house of prayer for all people. My hope and prayer for our community is that that would be us. That we would be a house of prayer for all people. That our community and our church would be a place that Jesus dwells. That he's welcome to walk the aisleways and the hallways, not only of our physical building, but of our homes and of our hearts that our community would be a place of access to God, that those who are in need of a word from on high can come, and whether they get it from a message, from a song, from an interaction, a smile, or you holding the door, or serving a hot drink on a Sabbath morning, that they encounter the presence of Jesus and have access to God. It's my hope and prayer that we would be a community of prayer where all can encounter the presence of God. Pray it over our children's Sabbath schools, over our adult Sabbath schools, our worship services, our physical schools, our centers of education. It's my prayer for our community that Jesus would dwell here and that we would hear the shouts of Hosanna and hallelujah. Jesus has come and we would welcome him with gladness every step of the way. Because if Jesus is here and he's in the center, he'll make all the difference. God, our Father in heaven, thank you again for the example of Jesus. Jesus, would you be welcome in this space? Would Keen Church and our community be known far and wide that there is a house of prayer for all people open and available for all who would come. But God, more importantly, 
more than our, than our building and the, the physical plant that, that, that is our structure and resembles our church. God, would you be welcome in our hearts? Would your presence dwell in us? God, we as the body of Christ, would we be built together and resemble the temple of old? The one where you're present. The one where your glory shines. And that all come to be healed and to hear a word from you and to praise your name in the highest. God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we love you. We look forward to seeing you soon. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.